Mike Erie here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. I'm here with our friend, our editor, the embodiment of Seattle. If Seattle were a person, I'm here with Tim Stafford. Tim, say hello. Hello. Tim. Now I'm picturing us all as like those inside out characters and I'm the frumpy little blue one. No, no, because Seattle is more than just the blue one. Seattle, Seattle's all of them. They're just a different Seattle proportion. Seattle is probably my favorite city too. Is it? it? Is. It is it? Yeah, it's, it, the air is all clean. I feel like everything feels cleaner in Seattle than it does. I mean, definitely down here in LA. Yeah, yeah, no question about that. And um, I can speak from having seen you a bunch that you are more of a flannel beanie kind of bearded guy. Exactly. And um, you I definitely have a beard, a flannel, and a beanie today. And you, so you wouldn't fit in on Maui, let's just say. Like, <laughs> you know, I'd like to try. <laughs> now, um, we are so excited because this is, by our official estimation, episode 198. We are approaching 200 episodes of the Vox podcast. And I remember when Andy and I first started this, we would joke around at like episode 10. Uh, and they said it would never last. And, uh, here, and here we, we are, are almost four years later, which is unbelievable. What a testimony or testament to, um, our incredible community. Um, you have made this so fun. Many of you have supported us financially. You've left reviews. You've liked us. You've shared the podcast. Um, you've emailed in, you've asked us questions. I mean, this has been such a rewarding journey. So thank you. Tim had a great idea to to do something a little different for um, the episode, the the 200th episode, but we turned that into three episodes. Tim's idea was, if I may, you know, put it much better than you did, it was to no, 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 it was to to interview some of the folks that we've had on the show before, and to just ask them the question, hey, what do you see the future as the church in America as? What do you what do you what do you think needs to die? What do you think needs to grow? Where do you think the church in America will be 15, 20 years from now? And just leave it really open-ended. And so we've got uh, four or five people that we've spoken with. And um, and so the lengths of our conversations are, you know, anywhere from 10 minutes to 45 minutes. Uh, and there was no predetermining that. That was just kind of how the conversation went. Today... We are going to talk to um, Rick McKinley, a friend of mine from um, Portland, Oregon. He pastors a church called Imago Day. We've had him on to talk about one of his books. Great, great guy. And then our dear friend, Bonnie Lewis, is going to end the episode with her thoughts. Um, Rick's about 40 minutes and Bonnie's, I don't know, eight or nine and that is in no way reflective of the importance of their input. That was just kind of how the conversations went. And, uh, and, and I think you'll enjoy it. I think that, that and, I, and, I, and when we get into some other interviews, I think we've got um, our own Andy Laura and a friend of mine named Kristen Howerton, who I'll kind of describe in more detail next week, or excuse me, next episode. Um, and, and, uh, and then we've got our friend Sky Jatani for our 200th episode. So we're going to take three episodes to have these discussions. The disclaimer is always, Hey, when I'm interviewing somebody, I'm not debating them. And so there might be things said on some of these that we don't agree with, or that I don't agree with, or that you don't agree with. My goal is to hear their best stuff there to, to hear their best take on, on these questions and to not get into whether or not I agree or whatever. So um, please hear my mm-hmms and mm and go. <laughs> and, you know, that's just encouragement to, to keep going. Tim, if you listen carefully, Tim's doing this even when I'm rambling on and making no mm-hmm. sense whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. So, friends, here you go. Uh, first up, Rick McKinley, uh, our pastor friend from Imago Day. Hey, everybody, here with my dear brother from another mother, my friend Rick McKinley, pastor, author, speaker. Rick and I go back at least a decade, um, and I he, he pastors a church called Imago Day, 
in uh, in Portland, and we had him on the podcast. I don't know several uh, several months ago. Talk about his new book. But when we were thinking about, I was thinking about who I wanted to talk to about kind of the thoughts on the future of Christianity and the church in America. Um, Rick was one of the first guys to come to mind, not only because the the book he just written has dealt with this, but I'm really, I'm, I'm just curious as to what he would say. So Rick, welcome to the show again. Thank you for your time today. Give me a, give me a weather update in Portland. Would you, what, what, what's happening right now out, out the window? Portland is partly sunny, partly cloudy, <laughs> chance of rain, possible sun. <laughs> every day in Portland. <laughs> oh, perfect. I will counter. What, what's the temperature though? Cause we got, we got eighties going on in, in Ohio right now. No, we don't. We're and, probably mid fifties, maybe hit 70 today. Okay. That's not, that's yeah. That's kind of boring, but nice. I mean, eighties. No, don't... in Portland, if it's seventy, people are going to be running around in speedos this <laughs> afternoon. If it hits seventy, just white, white tattooed skin in speedos all over all over the city. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, the thing about Portland is that that's true even when the weather isn't nice, and so, you know, um, the first time I would push back on that. I mean, maybe <laughs> a couple guys on a unicycle would, would do that on a regular basis, but <laughs> my first ever trip to Portland. Um, I was with John Mark and we went to a coffee shop and I'd been there maybe 20 minutes, like in Portland, we drove just from the airport straight to this coffee shop and it was a dude in a kilt with a fishnet, uh, top fishnet see-through top. And he was telling us about the poetry he was writing. And then he read some poetry to us. And I was just like, dude, these are this is my home right here. This is, these are my people. If I could get away with wearing a kilt, I would do it in a second. I'm not going to lie. You've, you've rocked the fishnet top for years. But <laughs> is what is really keeping you from fully entering. <laughs> Just stop it Ohio, right there. Ohio's big on fishnet tops. Absolutely. Except we use those to actually fish. Um, no, the nice thing is I'm always prepared and, uh, in case some fishing breaks out my man, Rick. So you've been a pastor. How many years, man? Uh, I've been at Imago almost 20 and I did about 10 years before that. So I don't, I'm not a math whiz, but I'm thinking 30 years yeah. of pastoring. Yeah. <laughs> and you sound <laughs> and you sound like it's been 30 years. <laughs> so I was just I was just complimenting your math. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. So so um for for our sort of I don't know, the 200th episode feels like a big deal. We've been talking about uh, or getting different takes on kind of the future of Christianity in the in the in the States. And, and uh, I, I tweet, I, I, I DM'd you on Twitter. I said, Hey, would you be willing to talk about this? And you were like, I'm not hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just start, uh, let's kidding. just start there. What? So, so within our lifetime, so let's say the time horizon of 15 to 20 years, what, what do you think? Not what, not what we want it to look like, but what do you, what do you think it will look like? Um, and by church, obviously, I mean sort of the institutional things that we're all familiar with. Yeah. That is a great question. Um, I think, I mean, obviously so much depends on what we do right now. The permission, you know, if mm -hmm. it's kind of a bad word, um, but to let the next generation of young leaders shape the church. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess when I look forward, the things that I'm hopeful about is as culture shifts um, so radically, 
I mean, I think it will continue to do so, but the church is finally realizing that it exists in a missionary context. Mm. Uh, and, and we have talked about that, I think, for the last few decades. I just don't know that we actually feel it, right? Mm. Like, th- this is a missionary context. You might feel it more in, in different cities. Um but in light of that, the question becomes, will the church embrace a missionary context and the actual tension that is caused by living as a follower of Jesus on mission? <laughs> so, you know, the one thing I think the last few years have showed us is that Americans in general are not good at living in tension in, in places uh, that are difficult with people who share different opinions and the ability to dialogue and actually come to some form of human agreement. And, and so you see this radical polarization and I think it exists in the church. I mean, the church is Mm -hmm. arguing about all kinds of things kind of along the same lines as culture. And so what happens if we go that direction, then the principalities and powers have won. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, on that sense, I feel like, yeah, we have, we have an uphill battle. I do think form of church is, is going to shift pretty radically. Hmm. Uh, Giving, And I think that's where we have to give permission to the next generation of leaders to, to do their thing their way. Meaning we give resource and authority and, and assistance. Mm -hmm. Right. But we don't, we don't sort of contain them in our boxes. One of the, one of the difficult things of churches that grew and were maybe successful over the last 30, 40 years is they built, you know, junior college campuses mm-hmm. essentially. And so what, what is the next 15 years have to look like for mm-hmm. them by nature of this facility? Yeah. It looks like filling the building. Um, and maybe that'll continue, but I think I think there's much more creativity and and uh, fluid ways of shaping the church in the future. When when you talk about the, ch- the church seeing itself in a missionary context, what's the difference, or can you articulate a difference between a church that sees itself that way versus kind of how church normally sees itself? as a, as a, you know, an organization, an institution that's, um, geared towards preserving its entity and preserving its values and filling its building or whatever. So just contrast that because I think that's, I think that's a very, very significant point about will, will we be quick enough to embrace that or not? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. The, the easiest way I might be able to explain it is a church that exists for itself mm-hmm. and its own self-preservation or a ch- church that exists for the community and is going to risk itself in proclamation. Right. But wouldn't every mm-hmm. church say it exists for the community? Sure. They would, but if you say that and you look at your budget and your building and your programs and your staff and all those things, and you're like, what are we doing that is risking ourselves and giving ourselves away? Mm-hmm. That that's, that's a very different. So it's not necessarily about saying it. It's about looking at your bottom lines and saying, are we, are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so seeing things, do you, do you think, and I'll tip my hand that I think, but I'd love your thoughts on the difference between a post-Christian culture and a non-Christian culture. Uh, 
And, um, and, and let me define a bit what, what I mean by that. I'd love for you to react to it. Um, being a missionary in a non-Christian culture seems to have obviously the same impulse, same general sort of categories and assumptions and, and methodologies, but um, a post-Christian culture is a culture that, that is familiar with the Christian terms and the basics of theology and has rejected them or found them irrelevant or found them harmful or offensive. Whereas when you're, when you're with a, you know, totally unchristian or non-Christian culture, you get to introduce those things uh, from, Mm -hmm. from kind of ground zero here. It feels like being a missionary in a post-Christian culture, at least for the next 20 years, there's still a residual, there's still a residue of, of, um, beyond apathy, but negativity towards the institutional church, right? It's not just that. I don't know what that is, or I don't know what goes on there, but it's rather, I know what goes on there and it's awful <laughs> and it's been harmful, right? So how, yeah. how do you adapt uh, as a missionary in a post-Christian culture as opposed to a non-Christian culture? Because I, I think that, <clears throat> that distinction isn't, isn't being held up in some of the missional conversations that we're having. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, I agree. And I think, and well, I think depending on where you live, you probably have a bit of both. Mm. You have people who have experienced the church in some format uh, growing up, positively, negatively, whatever. And then I think you have people that are several generations removed from that experience, meaning mm. their families you know, their grandparents quit going to church and mm-hmm. by the time it gets to them, they're like, yeah, the church is like a museum or something. I don't even know what that would be like. That's, that's how it was for me when I came to Christ. Yeah. So I think you're dealing with both, but you do have a, a pretty powerful religious memory as well as branding that is kind of all over the place Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the country. So, yeah, I think it's a huge distinction to note the, and then I I think the way we see the reaction, like how is the church reaction to this post-Christian and some of the stereotype tends to be, we swing towards syncretism, you know, Mm-hmm. Or essentially going, yeah, we're going to affirm all kinds of things that culture thinks the church hates or the church hasn't carried well. Mm-hmm. Or swing the other way uh, and sort of take back America for the good Christian days that are mm-hmm. of the past. Yep. The, no, I, I think that's true. When I, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep, I got so you. I think the state... The question becomes like, do we need to re do, do we need to recreate a different message? I don't think we need to do that. Do we need to um, reprogram the church to make it something different? I don't think we need to do that. I think we need to get faithful. We need to become faithful to the very basic, simple things that, we see in the new Testament in the early church of Jesus being my King and my forgiver and the church being a place where that kingdom gets displayed and Mm -hmm. put on display Mm -hmm. in a way that's faithful. Yeah. What would that, so, so if you were planting a church and this is no knock on anything that we're doing now, but if, if, you took, you know, if you just took a whiteboard and you said, okay, I'm going to plant a church that embodies some of this, uh, it could look exactly like Imago Day, or it could look, it could, it, it, you would plant it differently. I mean, so I'm fishing for, if you were planting a church today, knowing what you know after 30 years doing this, and, and anticipating what we're anticipating the world uh, and the church will be like, what would, what would, how would you do that differently? If I could just, yeah. So that's a great question. 
<laughs> I think I would I would look at how do do I want to start a church or do I want to be a part of a movement of God? And I I do think those are two different things. Ooh. And I think I would focus on training leaders to lead out of their houses Hmm. um, in the simplest way possible. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you pray? How do you lead people to Christ? How do you discern, follow the Holy Spirit, obey the word, you know, basic stuff, but to set it up for harvest as well as hostility, Hmm. um, that the culture isn't always going to be friendly or approving, but at the same time, do we have a model of church that unleashes believers into that missionary context for harvest? Mm Mm-hmm. So how do we simplify what we're doing? Mm-hmm. One, one of the things that struck me, I was listening to a pastor from Cordovar. Cordovar? How am I saying that? Anyways, yeah, he I don't even this, know what you're talking about. All right. Well, it's a I'm global pastor. <laughs> <laughs> but he's essentially as 250,000 people in this movement. You know? oh, wow. and and he talks about setting up your systems so to speak for harvest and hostility hmm. and there was a season of hostility where they had to shut the church building down hmm. for a month and his church grew hmm. right so it's getting back to those kinds of things how how can the church be disciple-led uh, with a simplified reproductive model that is about this worship of Jesus expressed in a faithful life uh, and not about coming to the place for the programs. <laughs> right. Which, which would, would, you know, take a fairly dramatic reimagining of church for a lot of us raised in it and have, you know, those of us who've worked in it, Right, because the weekend is what drives everything else, at least to to old yeah. old uh, church growth thinking. We called it the horse. It was the horse that 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 pulled everything else. Really? If you wanted to do small groups, you had to make it happen in Sunday mornings. If you wanted to do justice, you had to make it happen in Sunday mornings. And so the whole church huh. began to see itself that way. Right. Well, it's just the, that's yeah. the that's what we inherited. And uh, I yeah, didn't know. several things have changed about that. <laughs> yes. <culturally. laughs> yes. Like I mean, not. Well, I think that the church, we sort of capitulated to it being a teaching event. Yep. And that teaching event now is available on iTunes, wherever podcasts are sold. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so with much better content than you're going to get from schmo down the road right and so if i don't have to like if i can get the the basic thing that i go for mm-hmm. even though there's value to being together and worship but in the average person mind that's filled with the anxiety of the pace and connectedness um yeah. like do i really want to like get up haul my kids there find out that the classroom is shut down because there's too many kids and then, you know, hold my four-year-old through this church service. <laughs> Just, that, uh, you know, and listen to the guy talk about Sabbath rest. <laughs> <laughs> and he was sort of like, wow, this doesn't feel good to me. So, <laughs> yeah, but I but I do think it's getting back to what the church is, um, which looks like what. Well, I mean, what is the church theologically? It is the people who have been awakened to Christ as 
Lord and Messiah and are filled with his spirit and are about his purposes. Mm-hmm. Right. Boom. And, and therefore when we gather, we're, that's what we're doing. We're doing the Jesus stuff, prayer and worship and obeying his word and breaking bread and, you know, blessing and healing the world. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, that, that looks really different. And I think, I think 90 high 90% of our pastors are like, that's not what I get to do. Right. I get to run, run a program or a machine or, you know, yeah. a system and it's killing most of us. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a heart for, for the pastors that are out there right now, because I feel like so many of them are in a model that doesn't allow for them to Correct. be part of the party. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's true. And, and it seems like part of the role of the Gen X crowd that is aging very slowly, just personally speaking. <laughs> and gracefully. And gracefully is, is that, and I know permission you said earlier is, is a word that, you know, is, has, has some baggage to it, but, but I think it is, there, there is some permission that has to be given. Um, because I, I know that, uh, that totally makes sense. Um, it, it feels like, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know if we can say this, but, but there's, there's part of me that that hasn't felt that same permission from the generation before us. In other words, mm. um, you know, when I look at when I look at the gift of the baby boomers to the church, um, there are many things worth celebrating, and uh, but there there are many things worth lamenting, um, and and part of that is a very narrow imagination about what church is, what church does, what constitutes a church, how you plant churches. Um, Like there isn't a whole lot of entrepreneurialism associated with this other than, you know, get a launch team and launch a service, right? That's kind of all we know to do because that's all that, you know, a church is because you've got to reach a certain number of people to be financially sustainable, blah, 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 blah. I just think the future of the church is going to, especially if we lose, like I think we will, I think we'll lose our tax exempt status at some point. And I just think, I, I, I don't think culture will simply countenance the abuses of money and power going on in the church without some sort of pretty significant uh, pushback, you know, beyond just social ostracism. I just think the tax breaks and how they're being abused are absolutely ridiculous. And so, you know, imagine churches that are built on uh, campuses, like you've described doing programs like we've imagined. um, And all of a sudden you lose 30% of your income, not, not just because you have to pay a tax bill, but because people are no longer incentivized to give to you for the tax break. Right. Right. It's a double hit. And then all of a sudden, how do you how do you structure a community that doesn't rely on building services and and um, and staff? And, and there just is a, such a lack of imagination around that question that permission seems the best word in terms of what needs to be given now. Uh, and, it, mm-hmm. and it feels like a permission that I don't think a lot of us received. You know what I mean? Do you agree with that? Not agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I came into the church later, like at 18 and then went to um, Bible college. So I definitely felt like the outsider who, you know, needed permission from whoever it was that was running the church, even though there wasn't uh, like a committee somewhere in overseeing the church of America. What what I (laughs) appreciate the, uh, what I appreciate about the younger generation is they're not asking permission. They're going for it, you know? Yep. Yep. And the question is, will we identify them and throw whatever resource and influence and care and advice, but really letting them shape it. So 
one of the things I do is mentor kind of the younger, some younger pastors. And we meet for four or five hours a month, reading, going through theology and culture and all this. But, uh, but man, you know, one guy, Sam has moved here from Indiana at 24 with, and he brought like 25 people with him. What? You know? Dang. Yeah. And they're not like just a bunch of college kids. Like he, wow. family with them. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, this, this guy has some leadership chops. Boy, no if, kidding. Or, I mean, he's either going to be a great pastor or a cult leader. Um, <laughs> And sometimes it's a fine line. (laughs) (laughs) But just, you know, trying to go, how do we not, you know, you don't have to wave my flag. You don't have to jump through my hoops. But we want to affirm what we see and give you whatever we have that is helpful and useful, you know? Yep. Yep, that is a that is an absolutely dramatic mind shift. Um, well, and it, it hits the bottom dollar, right? It's hey, absolutely it does. I mean, if if we are willing to go by vocational, mm-hmm. I remember early when we planted the church and we weren't we hadn't grown very much, <clears throat> and all our funding we didn't raise that much, so it ran out quick. And we had about 70 people and I had a meeting with Jeff uh, Marsh who planned the church with me. And we were like, all right, so this didn't work like we thought. Are we going to be bivocational? And is this what we're called to? Or are we like, hey, we tried, didn't work. And we both felt that, (laughs) yeah, we called to do this. We weren't called to a paycheck necessarily but we were called to lead this Hmm. and so we ran after it like that and the church grew and we were able to go full time but there was such a freedom Hmm. when realize we are going to do this regardless if we get paid regardless if it grows regardless if it's successful in the eyes of the church so good Um, but we're I mean, you know, meet, I meet with planters now who honestly, that's never an option. Hmm. It's like if I'm not funded completely and fully, then I'm not planting. Yeah. Like it's just another job. Yeah. Not all of them. I mean, there are a few like that though. And, and you just kind of go, <laughs> I want to see you make moss grow on rocks you know, regardless yeah. if you get a paycheck, like, are you called to go do this thing? No, oh, that's so yeah. good. I was talking to a New Testament prophet Fuller once. We were at lunch and I just asked him if you could do one thing to change the entirety of the American church, what would you do? And he said, stop, stop paying pastors. And, um, and ha- you know, they all have to have other jobs and um, he said that would dramatically change uh, the face of the church because if there's no money in it, um, he just said, and, and I think this is true. He said just the, the number of people who get in, um, who would never say they get in for the financial benefits, but absolutely either get in or stay in because of those and, and lose complete sight of the mission. It's not just churches that become institutions, but people do too. And I thought that was super fascinating. The idea that, okay, like what, what if you just, you created a nomination that simply said, okay, you're not allowed to pay pastors. You're just not allowed. How would that change the church? And it seems like it would change it pretty dramatically. Well, that is happening all over America right now. What's that? Uh, Pastors not getting paid and leading congregations. It's happening yeah. in the Hispanic churches. It's happening in African American churches. It's happening in a lot of churches where people of color are gathering and they they can't afford that. And the pastors mm-hmm. are shredding. You know, like they're amazing. Yeah. It's happening all over Africa. It's happening. You know, so we're talking about a very white 
middle class issue. Ooh, that's so good. Yeah. And that's very and when, true. So we always talk about the church in that perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think when we do look at what is the church going to look like, it's going to be important that the people answering those questions aren't necessarily white <laughs> middle class. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're not us. Because the model that we've created is just mimicking other organizations culturally yeah. from a financial base. Yeah. And then, you know, you look at pastors and you're like, they're, they're tapped. They're not making crazy money. They're not, and they're burned out. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. they're tired. And you're like, Hey, you're going to go get a job too. And just kind of do this thing on the side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, thank you. So it's not just an issue of don't pay them, but the issue is if we didn't pay them, what would have to change about exactly. how? We- yes, so that that was his the- point. Yes, exactly, because it forces that question. We don't want to kill our leadership That's from right. doing this, but we should be able to get the best of us still. Yeah the best that the church has to offer. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, you know, you, I don't want to sound like a Jim Collins book, but, but, <laughs> but the church does so much good <laughs> that it never does anything great. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we're doing so much good and good's a pretty easy bar to hit in, uh, in a cities that have lots of need. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't take, much to go oh that's good but are we doing like the thing are yeah. we doing the most important thing are we doing the great the greatest thing um not from a business standpoint but from an importance standpoint mm-hmm. from a value standpoint that i mean that's what we're working through right now at imago is just like we need to simplify this thing down to like what is the thing hmm. that that we're supposed to do that we yeah. have we must because everything else just it just quickly we can turn into a, a buffet of religious yeah. yep services you know oh absolutely and i don't know I don't know anybody who signed up to run a spiritual business. You know, I mean, we all right. initially got into this for a revolution. So, um, so what are things that are happening now that concern you? What are things that are happening now that give you a great deal of hope? I am really hopeful about the young leaders that I see uh, emerge. Just Except Sam, the cult leader. <laughs> I, I'm excited about Sam, too. I don't think he's a cult leader. I know, I know. But, but I do feel like <laughs> they are, they're gifted. Um, they're incredibly talented at such a young age. Um, I, I'm concerned for them, having watched many of my friends sort of blow a church up big and then mm-hmm. blow it up all together. <laughs> that that their that their character and their heart and their relationships are also coming along, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're twenty four. They might be gifted to fill a room. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But their their character's still at twenty four, you know, and their mm-hmm. heart. And how do we move them to a place of wisdom or pursuing yep. that? Yep. But man, I'm super encouraged by them and there's a lot of humility that i see in these young leaders they're willing they're willing to learn and they want to learn and they're sort of like why you know why would you pour into us um so i don't know that that feels like a great relationship for me i still Mm -hmm. feel like the when the church is about the main thing and the the most important things, the city does look on and go like, "We need you here, mm-hmm. and you are a blessing 
to this space, re- regardless of, you know, we talk about hostility, um, but we don't face tons of that in Portland, and we should. Um, but we have great relationships in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, we disagree on a lot of things, but so I'm, I'm hopeful for that. My biggest concern, I think, is that we don't dive deeper than the issues to ask the larger theological questions. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive? What, you know, all these questions that Jesus traveled in. Uh, right now, we just live in a world where of identity politics, whatever group that you're in, uh, that's your group and everybody else is wrong. And hmm. because it's a very nihilistic culture, you can create any group you want, but then you also want basically totalitarian culture. You know, you want to approve that, whether it's the NRA or, uh, I mean, any, any group. And I feel like the church is looking at all these groups going, okay, where is Jesus? And, Maybe he's kind of for the the group that's doing this form of justice, and maybe he's for this freedom. And and we're we're but, but there's no blanket place that we mm-hmm. can go. Yeah, Jesus is on these groups. Yeah, but but those are just tips of an iceberg that were created by answering larger questions mm-hmm. about who we are and what is the nature of humanity and what is the meaning of life and what makes a good life and mm-hmm. all these questions that Jesus traveled in. And I don't think we have space in our culture to have dialogues there. Yeah. And therefore my fear is the church capitulates to a political party or to an identity group that, that looks close enough in their imagination to what Mm. the Christian message should be. Mm. And we don't have the courage to dig deeper and go, what does it mean to be an alternative community, an alternative city, uh, a new humanity that following a, a King, you know, come on, baby. Dang, I love it. Rick, that is excellent stuff, my friend. Hey, I just want to thank you for your time today. Like this Man, is, thanks for having me. Of course, Rick. I, I'm very grateful. Get to see your office. Get to see your your sweet face and say, dude, I love it's, you and yeah. I appreciate you. Um, and I'm, my yeah. face is beautiful. <laughs> if you want to see my face, uh, it's on the back of my most recent book. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. A polarized world as the people of God. Oh, yes. I mean, oh. yeah, just a plug. <laughs> just one plug was all I wanted for this oh. podcast. Oh, oh my goodness, dude. I'll give you so many plugs. I'll give you so many plugs. <laughs> so Conan O'Brien just started a podcast and it's one of my my buddy Tim Stafford got me on this thing and and they do these advertising plugs I mean he does these plugs that are just hilarious advertising the most mundane stuff you know here's mattresses and he'll just go on a riff but one of his guests came on and um and just started plugging (laughs) He wasn't even getting paid by these companies. He was just sitting there reading ad copy from different social media sites as part of the podcast. It was just, it was the greatest thing ever. So, so bro, that was a great plug. Absolutely. Rick is in, if you're in Portland uh, and you don't have a a faith community, man, Imago Day is where uh, there is a lot happening and where Rick is. And so anyway, bro, love you. Appreciate you. Thanks for your time today. All right. All right, bro. Thanks for having me. See you. So Rick, Rick is just one of the greatest guys ever. He, I call him my brother from another mother because um, if you saw us, we look alike. Although he's got beautiful hair and um, and beard, and you know, but he's got a he's got a, a sweet daughter with special needs, and um, 
But my favorite thing uh, about Rick is that he tore his Achilles going up to preach a sermon. Oh. And yeah, and, I mean, and that and that hurts. And he preached it anyway. He just went up and stayed up there and like preached the, Kobe the sermon. Bryant. He's like he Kobe is totally Bryant the Kobe Bryant of, of preachers. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, up next, Bonnie Lewis. This was entirely too short a conversation, but um, Bonnie always has some wonderfully interesting thoughts to share. So uh, here she is. Hey, everybody. We're here with Bonnie Lewis, our friend, our Bible translator, our um, the next president of the United States. Oh, my God. Our friend, Bonnie Lewis. Bonnie, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to talk. We're coming up on episode 200, and I want to That's talk crazy. about. Congratulations! I'm, That's big. That is big. It's four years. Four years That's worth. That's awesome. It is. It is absolutely nuts that you know. I remember when Andy and I were sitting on our porch, talking about starting a podcast. I mean, that was just uh, yeah. So here we are. Um, but one of the things we're doing is we're going through. And we're asking some folks who've been guests on the show. You, you've obvi- you're obviously more than a guest, but um, I'd love your thoughts on kind of the future of Christianity and the church mm. in America. Oh, in America, yeah. In America, yeah. Because I can't, you know. I mean, Lord willing, it keeps exploding in Latin America, and it's revitalized in Europe, and it, right. and it's, you know, whatever. But yeah. um, where do you see where do you see the future of this thing um, in, let's say, 10, 15 years? Yeah, um, I see so I see so much good and things that give me hope in that um, I think we've done. I think we are doing a good job of um, trying to move forward and discuss things. There are a lot of things mm. about social media or about um kind of the nature of things right now that can be polarizing, mm-hmm. but I do see good conversations. I do mm-hmm. see good disagreements. I see good discourses. I see good coming together moments that really give me hope. I think people mm-hmm. haven't given up on it. I think people want to dig in. Um, mm-hmm. I think people want to hold on to good things. Mm-hmm. On the reverse side of that, <laughs> <laughs> I, I also... You know, someone always, people always say to me, like, hey, in your research, um, what, what do you think about Revelation? Like, how do you think the world's going to end? And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what, this really doesn't have anything to do with Revelation, but I think that we're going to do it to ourselves. Mm. And I think that might be our biggest danger in church as well, mm. is that the same things in terms of conversation dialogues, social media, things like that, that can cause these great conversations and cause space for deconstruction and reconstruction and wrestling Mm. and figuring it out. I think they also could be very harmful if we're not careful because they also polarize us completely Mm -hmm. and they're designed to do that. So Mm -hmm. if I look up one thing on the internet, everything now is going to be tailored towards that every Mm -hmm. conversation, every news piece, every whatever. And so our biggest problem is that I fear that we're going to place ourselves further in these silos Mm. and not come together and not converse and not see the good in our enemy and not, you know, do these things that Jesus calls us to. So I feel like in 10 or 15 years, we have the capacity to really be this light and to be a changed, a changed people that, um, puts the beauty of Jesus on display but I feel like we have to be careful um, <clears throat> with the way that we are going about that because we also are in danger of the pendulum swinging and mm-hmm. um, we we don't come together at all. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Do you, what would what would a healthy church community look like in fifteen years? Mm. Um. I mean, obviously, the ability to have conversations in the midst of the polarization of the greater world. That's a huge piece Mm -hmm. of that. What else would you say? Um, I think it would be in its healthiest form. It would be a place for um, healing. It would Mm. be a safe place. I don't feel that's true for all churches right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think in its healthiest form, it would um, really and truly be the safest place to talk about anything. Mm. And, um, 
I think it would also look a lot more, um, which might be hard to do in America, but I don't think impossible, but um, across gender and across um, people of color, that it would be more representative hmm. of the body of Christ as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think we need more voices. Um, it can't be mm-hmm. white evangelicalism that leads the charge because that's only half of the picture. Right. No, that's good. Um, and and uh, when you look at, um, do you think the, the church in America will be thriving? Mm. Um, I think that the evangelical church as we know it will not. Hmm. I think that what who will be thriving are these groups on the margins, these smaller operations that are like, hey, I'm just I'm just trying to figure it out. I think in that sense, it will be thriving, but I think it will look very different. What we say is thriving now. I don't I think will no longer be Mm. what the standard is. So. So, yeah. So having, you know, buildings, money, shows, whatever it is, I don't think that will be uh, thriving, nor do I think it will be the standard anymore. Yeah, boy, that would be a great thing. Right? I think it would. <laughs> no, that's that's absolutely fantastic. Excellent, Bonnie. I love your thoughts. Thank that's really you. good stuff. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes, thank you for asking. Yes. Thank you for answering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So um so friends, there you go. We'll we'll hear from a couple more people next episode. Uh, hope this stimulates conversation and I would love to hear your thoughts. I really, really would. If you have time or the interest to email us at hello at voxpodcast.com or tweet us or Instagram us or Facebook us, I'd lo- love to hear your thoughts. What, what are you laughing at? It's just funny how <laughs> that's just normal conversation. I know. Tweet 10 us. years ago. Instagram tweet us. us. Facebook tweet us. Tweet at us. <laughs> Right. And um, I was going to say Tinder us, but we're not we're not there. No. You know, you're not going to find us there. Um, there may be a Mike Erie fake account, but it's not me. Just so you know, it's not me. <laughs> the going people to be have now. been known. The people have been known to use my profile pic as a as a magnet. Uh, I'm just going to throw that <laughs> out there now. Uh, so, friends, we'd love to hear from you again. We are so excited to kind of be. On the march to episode 200, uh, we're so blessed by you. And as always, we want to end just by repeating that ancient blessing uh, that the priests were to pray over the Israelites. But it seems so fitting for our time as well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Till next time, friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.